There is a point where Walker Scoble, as Percy Jackson, says they haven't even made it to Trenton. Uh, 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 my New Jersey soul. You can't pronounce the second T in Trenton. What's good? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Newest Olympian. My name is Mike Schuber. I'm the titular Newest Olympian. I'm a grown man who never read the Percy Jackson books as a kid, but read them as an adult, then podcasted a lot about them, then started to watch the TV show adaptation of the Percy Jackson books and is now covering those on this podcast to determine if this is a book series and I guess now just overall series that society has been sleeping on. I hope this TV show makes society wake up and to help in the waking up process, I am joined by a very special guest because I'm never on this journey alone. I'm joined by someone who you have heard many a times across the podcast and enjoyed his presence very much so. Please welcome Dr. Stephen Parra. Dr. Stephen Parra, how's it going? (laughs) (laughs) It's going good. God, still feels interesting to see hear that on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, this is the first time we've done it in a non-live show setting where we said it at the Philly show and a lot of people in the comments were like, oh my God, it's Dr. Parra. So now we get to do that again. How fun. I know, right? Mm-hmm. God, just shows how much time has passed. Time has passed. We've waited so long for the show. Me, the longest out of anyone. <laughs> <laughs> but we're here to cover episode three of the show, which was very good. And I would say the funniest one yet. Oh, yeah. Which is really fun. Obviously, we're just going to keep it to this episode. But I did want to clarify something that we had both joked about separately. But when we were talking about episodes one and two, we talked about the first time we see who we assume is Kronos. And we learned that we had both made return the slab, <laughs> courage the cowardly dog jokes when seeing it, which just had to get that in the podcast to make sure that. We, oh, yeah. We... It was a Pavlovian response. Just this in the distance, <laughs> this dark, shadowy figure. With some sort of light. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I still remember clear as day because we didn't have Cartoon Network as kids. So I believe the first time I saw that episode, my sister and I were watching it like in a hotel room or something. Maybe one of the times we were road tripping Mm -hmm. on a family trip. And I just remember being terrified, (laughs) terrified by Return the Slab. I'm still amazed with the kind of things that Cartoon Network put on the air that, well, actually, they still put wild stuff on the air now. But Mm -hmm. gosh, Courage was a wild thing. So Zoomers, Courage the Cowardly Dog. (laughs) Go down a rabbit hole separately. We're here to go down a rabbit hole about episode three of the Percy Jackson TV show, which was very, very good. And I think we should just get right into it. Oh, no, wait. You you are now back on the podcast for the umpteenth time. But... In the meantime, someone, a listener, sent in a request for a returning guest question. We haven't done that yet. You can pass on it because it's a little personal. But what do you think your fatal flaw would be? Ooh. Yeah. I've realized I haven't been asked this question, but I've listened to the podcast Uh enough to know that this has come up. So I've I've done some introspective on Uh this. And I think the biggest thing is I think oftentimes I'll prioritize the needs of others over my own. Okay. I think that's probably my big fatal flaw. And, you know, I think it comes with a lot of people that wind up in the medical field. You know, Mm. we, we care a lot about other people's stuff. We won't always necessarily invest time back in ourselves as much as we should, or we want to make sure other people's needs are met before we do our own. And I think it's something I definitely still need to work on. And that probably would be my fatal flaw. Okay. It's a it's a good fatal flaw. And I believe it. This isn't the version of I try too hard, I care too much. I believe <laughs> this for you. So I think that's good. Thank you for sharing. Now let's yeah. get into episode three. <laughs> Starting off right off the bat with the Oracle, who looks very perfectly creepy. Oh, yeah. Perfect creepy vibes. I'm curious as to how much was the makeup department versus how much was the CGI department. But mm-hmm. the vibes are fantastic. And Percy's quotes about it are so funny. <laughs> He says something to the effect of a quest isn't real until we talk to you, quote, which is weird considering you're a Halloween decoration. Then the Oracle moves all creepy like and he just lets out a perfect, oh, geez. And then as it continues, he goes, you seem busy. I'll come back. (laughs) I know. It's so good. I love how much they just let Percy be Percy and Mm -hmm. be funny in this show. Mm -hmm. You know, I know. We've seen the movie very recently, and that was definitely something that I appreciate is that. Yeah. (laughs) But I am so pleased. (laughs) That we have a Percy Jackson that is allowed to be funny. And gosh, Walker is great at being funny. He's got great comedic chops and it really shows this episode with him and also with a lot of the other characters. But then we have the green mist come out of the Oracle and then Smelly Gabe gives the prophecy. And I didn't think that this was how it was done in the books. No. 
But we did check the text, and I'm not trying to do this a lot for the TV show. I don't want to be, oh, well, this is like, I don't want to get in the nitpickness. Mm-hmm. I want to get in the vibes. But this one, I, I guess I just completely forgot it. But in the book, it's similar. The Mist comes out, you've got the full poker squad there, and then Gabe says it, but it's in the Oracle's voice. I guess that's what made me not remember it was in the show. It's the actor who is playing Smelly Gabe doing the voice. And honestly, I'm okay with the casting because much like Megan Mullally coming back as Electo in this episode, which I was very happy with, mm-hmm. that guy was so good that oh, weirdly yeah. I was like, oh man, I kind of want more Smelly Gabe content. <laughs> I know, right? He's so good. He's so funny. He's so funny. So I will take it. And it is just very funny to hear his very over-the-top New York accent. Yeah. You shall go west. <laughs> like, oh, it was really funny. Yes. So I will take it. I will allow it. One thing that Kelly wanted me to make sure that I said on the podcast is that when the when the miss switches and Smelly Gabe is about to talk, there is a clarinet in the background. Oh. And Kelly, as a clarinet player, was very, very excited. Her reaction to this was similar to my reaction when there were pigeons in front of the Met. I screamed uh, yes. pigeons. She screamed clarinet. And I screamed goosebumps. <laughs> yes, yeah. it does have goosebump vibes. You are correct. So then we get to the scene of Chiron and a bunch of campers and Mr. D, and Chiron is setting the stage for for, okay, quest has to be taken on by three, pick your people. You do get a really clear shot of Mr. D's jorts, which mm-hmm. is a fun deviation. We're not getting leopard print tracksuit, but jorts are a phenomenal vibe. <laughs> oh, yes. Jason Mansuk is, is just immaculate. So good. Such perfect casting. Percy immediately picks Annabeth, and Chiron has a great line where he says, customarily, one waits to hear a name or two before choosing, <laughs> which is very fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, and I love that. And he, but he asks Percy for like justification mm-hmm. as to why. And he's just like, well, if someone needed to push me down the stairs in order for the quest to be successful, Annabeth wouldn't hesitate. Mm-hmm. It's a very good reason. Yes. And then Chiron's eyebrows do so much <laughs> acting in just one sec. He's just like, oh, good point. Really good. Really good facial expression yeah, acting. He conveyed so much in so little time. Just like he's like, that's something I never thought of before. That's a really good point. Okay, kid. (laughs) I'll allow it. (laughs) Yes. Beautiful. Then we cut to Grover shoveling some poop of a black pegasus. Not confirmed to be blackjack, Uh, but we've had two black pegasi show up so far in the show. So at least the seeds of blackjack are being sown. mm -hmm. And Grover, while shoveling this poop, is upset by how smelly it is and asks this pegasus, what they've been eating, and then the Pegasus kind of huffs, and <laughs> Grover goes, I'm not trying to antagonize you, I'm just genuinely curious. Just... I don't think he's that curious. <laughs> Maybe a little column A, a little column B. <laughs> but then Percy comes up, and Grover apologizes for missing the ceremony, and he says, well, I've been, you know, shoveling this poop. <laughs> <laughs> It's a really good line. It's so good. I'm going more line by line here stuff with the things that are different. And I feel like this episode does have a lot that is different, but I think it's done really well. And it gives me hope for the rest of the series with anything that is not going to necessarily be copy paste from the book, because there's a lot of changes made in episode three, but all of them made sense and were done well that I have full confidence in the creative team behind the show. Yeah. You know, I think it's it's with adapting anything. You need to have the courage to adapt the material. If you do a paint-by-numbers one-to-one thing, like, mm-hmm. I don't know if Gladiola's going to show up in future episodes. <laughs> I don't know if that's really that important to the plot, you know, but the idea that if you stay true to the essence of the characters and the arc of the story and make sure that the changes you make make sense within the overall arc of the story, then it's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. And just like you said, I think all the changes they made have just been, like, really solid. Right. The changes need to still hit the right tone and the changes need to have a purpose. Mm -hmm. There are too many changes just for the sake of changing things in the movie. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that is not the case with the show. Every time there's a change, you go, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. They had to do this, blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah. So Percy picks Grover. Grover says he's going to pack the best snacks, which is fantastic. (laughs) Then we have the scene with Luke and Percy when Percy's getting ready. Luke asks Percy about the money that they gave him. And when Percy is showing him the drachmas, he doesn't know what they are. And he just says, I think they're Canadian, maybe, or from (laughs) Chuck E. Cheese. I don't know, (laughs) which is really good. I loved that line. So good. But then Luke gives Percy the shoes. And I got to say, the wings coming out of the laces, fantastic. That was so cool. Super duper cool. Being Converse's, I get it. It feels iconic. I think that's what most people 
think of when they think of these shoes. In my brain, they will always be Jordan 5s. But (laughs) I think that the wing coming out of the shoelaces was a really cool effect. And I kind of like the one wing on each shoe thing. You usually traditionally see two wings on each side. I think this is fun. It's different. And the wing just looked really cool. Yeah, it was so slick. And you've probably talked about this in separate episodes, but I really enjoy the actor they cast for Luke. Yeah, it's a shame how good he is. (laughs) (laughs) He does such a good job, you know, and it's I know we've talked about this before, but, you know, Luke's overall arc really shocked me even when I was 17 reading these books. Like I Mm -hmm. did not see it coming until he named his sword a really edgy name. (laughs) It was chopping up mannequins, you know, so like. Two paragraphs before the reveal. Is this when I, this so. is my sword. I'm actually the villain. <laughs> and I'm like, dang, I oh. called it. Ah, no. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I think with how charismatic and likable he is, it's going to really make the emotional impact of his betrayal make a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be good. So the team is getting ready to leave. We see Annabeth outside of Thalia's tree, which is thankfully separate and looks like it was just (laughs) plopped down as opposed to just being another tree in the middle of the forest, like in the movies. But we've got Thalia's tree. And this is where we're starting to get quippy Percy Jackson. He goes, she's really going to miss that tree, huh? (laughs) Grover then explains the whole thing. And this is where we get the first TV show site of what's been in the promo materials, the iconic plaid shirt that Percy is wearing. And I'm going to say future iconic because he does seem to wear it in a lot of the teaser clips. So I think he's going to wear it for a lot of the episodes. I have been able to do some press stuff and I got to ask the costume director, Tish Monahan about the plaid, listen to whichever bonus episode, because I don't know the order I'm going to do all the stuff, but mm-hmm. we'll save that discussion for that. But it's a good shirt. It's a good little shirt jacket. It I is. like it. And I think it's going to become an iconic type thing. Then Annabeth comes up to Percy and explains more of the Thalia thing. And Annabeth's a bit upset, saying, oh, you know, she gave her all. She gave her life. She met a hero's fate. And then Percy says, she met a pinecone's fate. So I'm glad that we're getting the canonical Percy Jackson stinkers, where not every joke lands. Because this was not funny. was definitely a step too far. And Aryan, as Grover, gave a great, dude, what are you doing? Exactly. Facial expression and hand motion. Like, don't say that. That's her friend that died and turned into a tree. No, in comedy, you have to take risks. Oh, God. (laughs) Gross. So gross. Oh, my goodness. Oh, gosh. So time and place, bro. <laughs> so they are then taking a cab into the city. You get a cool effect where you can see Percy looking at the window in a very faint Empire State Building and the reflection of the glass, which was good. And then they show up at the Port Authority bus terminal, <laughs> which is a place. <laughs> it's fine. There's buses. There's buses. I've taken them to New Jersey quite a bit. They're good. Yeah. Honestly, my big pro tip, if you live in New York and you need to go to New Jersey, double check the buses. Sometimes buses can get you there faster than NJ Transit. Mm-hmm. So they get into a bus that is definitely not a Port Authority bus. <laughs> like It is certainly a movie set bus. I get it. This is like when you watch something and they're on an airplane in either a movie or mm-hmm. a TV show and you're like, wow, look at all the aisle space. <laughs> like, look how <laughs> wide everything is. It's similar to that where it's like these seats are way too big. The windows yeah. are enormous. It looks like a luxury bus. But I totally understand. This is a TV show. You got to do it. So then the bus stops. They are at a gas station, which certainly does look like it's in Vancouver. Yes. <laughs> It's, there's like there's parts of New Jersey that do look like that, but also as someone who's lived in the Pacific Northwest, I was like, yeah, this is a Pacific Northwest gas station. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, my stupid brain. It's it's the, what's hard for me watching this is that I am from the Northeast. I've lived in New York for the past five years and then i lived in seattle for two years so Mm -hmm. i just am perfectly broken to where (laughs) the new york stuff when it's not new york stands out and the pacific northwest stuff when it is the pacific northwest stands out it's just my broken brain and having lived in long island for almost six years uh i know when it's not long island (laughs) (laughs) oh goodness gracious so there's a bit of a argument between the team about who should be able to leave the bus who's staying the snacks all that kind of stuff which leads grover to sing what I am so excited <laughs> to soon change to be my ringtone on my iPhone, <laughs> the consensus song, which is so good. He just starts clapping and then sings the song, the oh golly, the road's oh, getting bumpy. <laughs> it's so funny. They keep going. Percy gives him this what are you doing face. Annabeth gives him this what is going on face. They stop him. Grover says verse two encourages us to say nice things <laughs> about each other. <laughs> it's so Funny, and I like what they're doing here. This is basically an improved version of the Grover playing So Yesterday by Hilary Duff on his reed pipes. Mm -hmm. Of course, I was crushed that that wasn't (laughs) 
in the show. I was yearning for this, but I understand that A, maybe you don't necessarily need to make that happen. B, reed pipes might be kind of strange to introduce since they have not really been introduced. Mm -hmm. And C, this goes the next step of it's not just Grover doing music things that make Percy go, huh, that's weird. But it also is bringing the team together. And I think that Mm -hmm. this is just one of those things that is by nature of how the show works. And this is something that has been on a lot of the different press opportunities from the showrunners. They've been saying it's a TV show. We got to get them on the quest as soon as they can. Absolutely. And you don't get to do the thing that you get to do in the book, which is be at camp for a hundred pages. And I think that they're doing a good job of it in this episode where I think the two things you miss out by leaving camp so early are melting away the coldness of Annabeth and really strengthening the bond between Percy and Chiron. I think those are the two things you really benefit by being at camp for a longer amount of time. Mm -hmm. So we're losing that a little bit, but now we're introducing more things into the quest that kind of gives us the Annabeth friendship stuff. And I think that this is an example and I think it's done really well. And on top of all of that, the consensus song is phenomenal. It's It's so so funny. It's so catchy. I just want to start clapping in real life whenever people are in disagreement about anything. It's perfect. It's so perfect. It's just the look on both of their faces at Grover. It's amazing. It's just so good. It's just so good. So then Annabeth goes in to get chips and sodas because she says chips and sodas okay. And then there's the whole argument. And then after the consensus mm-hmm. song, she goes, chips and sodas okay for you guys. <laughs> Percy goes, whatever. And Grover goes, yes, please. <laughs> and then she goes in and she buys a bunch of big oof candy. Yeah. Not chips. Not chips. Not soda. Was big oof some sort of reference i don't think so i don't maybe it comes i don't know if it's like a nod to heroes of olympus thing that i don't know but maybe they're just making up a brand name so that they didn't have to pay a bunch of brands watch it be canadian candy (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness but she gets a bunch of those goes up to the gas station person who then gives her a very snooty look for getting it and i've never received a snooty look from a gas station person and i've bought weird combinations <laughs> of things before just the most strange like yes let me get some blue heat takis and then chocolate milk and then also a slurpee like i've gotten weird <laughs> combinations before no one's ever judged me So this person judging Annabeth for getting a bunch of candy, like she's a child. Of course she's going to buy a bunch of candy. Then Annabeth sees what we would assume to be either Megara or Tisiphone because very much Electo vibes, but not Electo. And then I did wonder, is there Tostito SpawnCon? Because they are standing in front of Tostitos and that stays on screen for quite a bit of time. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. We get back onto the bus and we see, surprisingly, Electo on the bus. So she has, I guess, reformed very quickly. And now she's on the bus. Because in the book, was it just the other two Furies that came? Or did Electo already come back? Because I know the Furies attack them on the bus. I'm pretty sure that Mrs. Dodds comes back. Okay. I couldn't tell you firmly, but I'm almost certain she does. But in this case, rather than attacking the bus mid-Holland Tunnel transfer, Mm -hmm. she's already on the bus and she's reading a newspaper, the Jersey Tribune. I've already made fun of Rick Raritan in a very early episode of the newest Olympian about the lightning thief because it was the Trenton Register News, which is not a real newspaper. But well, I don't understand. If you're going to have a fake New Jersey newspaper, why not do the one for the book and make it the Trenton Register News? I guess maybe it was like <laughs> fewer letters, easier to see that she's reading a New Jersey newspaper. Mm-hmm. But also the Jersey Tribune is not real. Where is the Trenton Times, my beloved newspaper from my hometown? <laughs> but she's reading the newspaper. And I was just delighted that we got Megan Mullally back in oh. the mix because... Too short. Too short in the first episode. Glad she is returned. So quick. Mm-hmm. So quick. So she is back. She is great. And then we get a scene of Annabeth in invisibility mode talking to her. And super tiny nitpicky thing. I didn't love the ADR work. Like it sounded very starkly different. I don't know if it was the audio. I don't know if it's just harder for especially a kid actress to act. Maybe she's just talking to a microphone like Megan Mullally's not there. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Something felt a little bit off by it. It also could just be that Megan Mullally is an incredible actress and she's acting her butt off. (laughs) And it's just hard to go against that. But this was like the one thing in this entire episode. Honestly, maybe in the whole show where I was like, this is something. Yeah, it was a little off, I would say. Yeah, but I like what they are setting up in terms of 
there's more to the monster quests than just the monsters trying to get at them. It's laying the groundwork for the team to build their friendship. Mm -hmm. And we get a little bit of Electo offering, oh, you know, I can give you what you want, you know, helper of Athena, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and I think like starting the trio off in this way is a really smart move because it gives their relationship a place to go throughout the rest of the series. Yeah, I think it's good, especially in a world where you can't have narrator Percy say things to us like, oh, Annabeth seemed kind of cold, or, oh, I asked Annabeth this question and she didn't answer. Like, I think they are doing a good job of it. Mm -hmm. So after this, we get the Fury attack from both Electo and one of the sisters. I'll just guess to Siphony. I don't know, but she <laughs> flies in and Annabeth throws her knife at her, which is super cool. And then they get out and then they are along in the woods on the Seder path. There is a point where Walker Scoble, as Percy Jackson says, they haven't even made it to Trenton. Oh, uh, 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 my New Jersey <laughs> Soul. You can't pronounce the second T in Trenton. And now everyone who heard me say Toronto for years uh, has <laughs> laughed at me. Now I know to properly say Toronto. But it is funny that he says it very not like a New Jerseyan, but he's a New Yorker. So I'd have to like ask a lifelong New Yorker, how do you pronounce the capital of New Jersey? Because I don't know yeah. if it's solely explicitly a New Jersey thing just to call it Trenton, but I'll have yeah. to I'll have to do some of my own research. Yeah, I, I certainly don't think I count, but I do remember clearly when we were road tripping to the Philly live show, mm -hmm. I called it Trenton and mm -hmm. two New Jersey uh, <laughs> natives <laughs> were very quick to correct me in that car ride. <laughs> right. But that tracks because I don't know, I... I'm sure that I've butchered some other state capital in a different part of the U.S. And, oh, yeah. you know, apparently I think everyone says Nevada wrong because it's actually like Nevada. But really, I th yeah, I think it's I think someone from Nevada would tell you it's Nevada, oh, which interesting. is. Yeah, I know. So there's all things where I totally get it. But I'll have, I'll have to do some local <laughs> research and ask a lifelong New Yorkers. How do you say the capital of New Jersey? So then we get a really tense scene on the path where there's some arguing and Grover trying to not necessarily diffuse, but trying to just gloss over things <laughs> and just let people not be upset at each other. But I like it. I think this is good. You know, a little bit of butting of heads. And then Grover smells something and they go to Auntie M's. And it's a little bit different in vibes, but he's still smelling cheeseburgers. And this is where things start to get very different. But by the end of it, I liked it. I think when oh, yeah. it first started changing, I was a little cocked eyebrow of what's going on? This is really weird. But then by the end of it, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. It, it was like a longer version of in episode one when Grover throws Percy under the bus and says that he pushed Nancy. I was like, what the heck? What are you doing? And then by the end, you go, oh, he had to get him kicked out of school to keep him safe. That change makes mm -hmm. sense. I felt similarly with the Medusa thing. It's very different, but I like it a lot. Yeah. I did want to like step back a second because sure. there was a little bit of Grover's like character development that I liked was a change in the story. Because, sure. you know, back with the tree, you know, Grover was very deliberate to say Annabeth's satyr protector and he doesn't mm -hmm. designate that it's him. Mm -hmm. And I know we were joking when we kind of watched this episode being like, yeah, he was really buff and like. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, his, yeah. Her, her satyr protector, yeah. who's a great guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and right before he starts smelling the hamburgers and stuff, that's when Annabeth makes it clear that. Grover was her satyr protector. Right. And it's just kind of like peeling back the layers that, you know, he's sort of ashamed at his previous failure. He's kind of afraid to be honest about these things. And it's like, I loved how much sensitivity they're showing to Grover's arc and just giving him this, these little nuggets of showing like what's going on. And yeah. I really liked it. It's a nice way to show that he cares about this mission and regrets the previous one without having to really get into the council stuff and the searcher and the license and all the other things like that and the search for Pan. Like we're getting little hints of things about that, but it's effectively getting that same emotion across without spending so much time getting into it. Yeah. And I think it's very effectively done. What's different is we learn that it's Medusa right from the jump. And Electo does show up as she is afraid of Medusa. And then Medusa brings them in. So it's very interesting and different. But I also think it's one of those things that translates well for what they're doing. And mm -hmm. it's something that in the book translates easier to have the way it's done in the book, which is this plot yeah. twist of like what's happening. I feel like that's easier when you have a narrator slowly recognizing what's happening, yes. harder to convey with actors. And I know it's an intentional thing because from some of the press things, the people involved in the show have said that it was important for them to establish Medusa as more of a sympathetic character. Mm -hmm. We get that in the beginning with Sally and the statue and the flashback with the young Percy saying, oh, how did you know she was a monster and stuff like that. And then there's stuff that happens later in the scene that I think shows why they are making Medusa a little more sympathetic. So all yeah. around, I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. 
So they get into Auntie M's and Percy asks about the food, which does look delicious. The first food they show you is those rainbow cupcakes that look yeah. really good. The lemonade she pours looks awesome. There's cheeseburgers later. Like everything mm-hmm. looks fantastic. Oh. But Percy asks Grover if the food is safe to eat. And Grover says, Percy, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm really hungry and I'm ready to take that chance. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's oh, so good. It's so good. It's, it's so like- good. I've always felt a lot of kinship with Grover, but the more the show develops, especially this episode, the more I see myself in him. It was beautiful. Yeah. And the vibes of Auntie M's are so different from what I imagined. I was imagining more of like a thing you'd see on Guy Fieri's Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. So like I was imagining like a greasy spoon, hole-in-the-wall type place that weirdly combined fast food dining with garden gnome shopping. Mm -hmm. And this place is very more like fancy Southern almost looking, definitely not New Jersey vibes, (laughs) (laughs) but it also weirdly goes really well with her outfit, which is super cool. Her outfit is fantastic. And again, I was able to ask Tish about her outfit and you'll hear that in whatever interview episode I post about that. But the outfit's cool. The hat is cool. The candles are cool. The displays are cool. It's a very different vibe from what I imagined, but I really do like it. And I think it just looks really cool and classic. Yeah. The vibes are immaculate. You said it great to begin with. (laughs) So they're in there, they're talking, there is still some suspense of what's going on. And I think you still get the suspense of the scene in the book. It's more like, who is Auntie M? And this one, it's more of what is Auntie M up to? Which you still get the same emotion. So I get it. At one point, though, she brings Percy into a separate room and then starts talking to him a little bit more. And this is kind of like Percy's version of being tempted with, oh, you know, I can help you. You can talk to your dad. They're going to slow you down. I can get them out of your way kind of thing. I was so stressed in that scene. Yeah. (laughs) She's like, come with me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's like. But it, it was kind of bizarre to me, like the ass she's getting like, they'll just slow you down. And it's like, he picked these two people deliberately. Right. Yeah. Just murder his two quest companions. I was like, mm, I don't know, Antia. Yeah. I don't know how strong her <laughs> argument is, but she's trying. Yes. <laughs> she's trying to mess up his quest. But yeah, I think it is still fun, especially for people who have read the books before. You still can have that edge of your seat tension of, okay, I know what's supposed to happen, but this is so different. I don't know what's going to happen. So you still get some, "Hmm, what's going on here, which is really, really fun. So they're talking a little bit. You do see the cheeseburgers. Thank goodness. Yes. And then after their conversation, we have the whole trio go down into the basement and the basement That is where you're getting um, some different vibes. That is Mm. where you are getting stuff that is like, oh, okay. (laughs) Here we go. This is the anti-M vibe that I was anticipating when I read the book. And you just get this huge, huge storeroom with all of these statues. Before we talk about what happens here, though, let's take our mid-roll break here. The Lightning Brief, I guess, is back. I haven't like come up with a new name for it. Mm. Technically, the TV show doesn't call it Percy Jackson the lightning thief it's just percy jackson and the olympians season one hmm. but i feel like i will just go with the lightning brief for now yeah. unless something changes but we'll talk about updates with the show live shows merch all that kind of stuff and then we'll be back to continue our discussion of episode three of the tv show Hello and welcome to the Lightning Brief Travel Edition. As I record this, I'm in Houston, Texas. As I edit and publish the episode, I will be in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, visiting family for the holidays. But I still wanted to get in here in the mid-roll break to first say thank you for listening to this episode. And thank you to all the folks who listened to the interview episode we posted Monday. Talk to Dior Goodjohn, who plays Clarice, for like 25 to 30 minutes, a really fun interview. And then also I had more clips from the interviews I did with the production team, which does include Rick and Becky Ryordan about episodes one and two. I will have more clips about episode three this coming Monday, and then more clips about episode four things after the episode four episode of TNO that we will post one week from today. If you want to keep up to date with the schedule of The Newest Olympian, head on over to thenewestolympian.com slash about, especially because the schedule might change after this fourth episode of the TV show comes out. So just stay tuned there and I will have an updated schedule all available for you. 
Also, if you just want to stay up to date with what's going on with the podcast, you can follow us on social media. We're at News Olympian on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and we have a subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash the newest Olympian. You can stay up to date about things going on with the show, but also you can interact with me and other folks from the TNO listener community and just talk about the show or the books or what's going to come up next on the podcast when I get into things after the TV show. Lots of fun stuff going on there. There's also lots of fun stuff over at thenewsolympian.com slash Patreon, bonus content, bonus episodes. I'm going to be posting a bunch of stuff once this sort of holiday rush slash extra content on the TNO feed rush is over. And that's all at thenewsolympian.com slash Patreon. Normally, this is the point where I thank all of the patrons, but because I am traveling and I will be editing most of this episode while in a car from Houston to Baton Rouge, I think I'm going to do the individual patron thanking in the next Monday episode, do a mid-roll break there, even though I haven't normally been doing it for the bonus episodes. I just want to get this episode out as early as possible so folks who have seen episode three can listen to our thoughts on episode three. But thank you to all the folks who have joined the Patreon at any point in time. And recently, I'll be thanking you individually very soon. But if you are looking for more content to consume, you're all caught up on the News Olympian and all our bonus stuff that we're posting on the feed and on the Patreon, you can check out some of the other podcasts that I make. I'm an independent podcast boy. I do a whole bunch of podcasting things, and I think you would enjoy the other shows that I make. One of the shows that I make is similar to the News Olympian, but it's about the Harry Potter books. It's called Potterless. It was my first major foray into podcasting, and it covered me reading the Harry Potter books for the very first time, trying to guess what happens next and often being wrong, poking fun at things that didn't make sense, and slowly falling in love with the series. You can listen to that wherever you get your podcasts by searching for Potterless or going to our website, potterlesspodcast.com. Now, before we wrap up here, you're going to hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of those ads will be read by me. Others of them won't be. The ones that aren't are inserted locally. So if you live on the road between Texas and Louisiana, don't be surprised if you hear an ad for Bucky's, the gas station rest stop that people really like down here. But once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of The Newest Olympian. This episode of The Newest Olympian is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, if you listen to this podcast, it should be no secret that I am both a sports nerd and more of a traditional nerd. And when you think of these two types of nerddom, there's one thing that links them together, and that is card collecting. Whether you are looking to buy, trade, sell, or display a card collection of sports cards or Pokemon cards, you should check out Arena Club. ArenaClub.com is the place where you can do all of these things. I have recently made a purchase on the marketplace. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu, which is my favorite Pokemon, and I didn't even know that there was a Lieutenant Surge version of the Raichu. So that is a card that I now have, and it's not just some digital thing. I can have this card physically mailed to me. So there's a bunch of cool stuff you can do with Arena Club, including their slab packs. If you have ever done any sort of card collecting, you know that ripping packs or repacks can be a zero transparency type of thing where you're just hoping you get some sort of cool card. But what's nice about the slab packs with Arena Club is that you have full transparency. You see what available cards are there, what your percentage of getting them is, what the gradings are. So it is not a complete black box. You're going into this knowing what cards you might get. And I've been using Arena Club and it's pretty cool. It's very easy for me to look up different cards. I can favorite them, see what I want, and then whenever I want them shipped to me, I can get them shipped to me, and then I'll have the physical versions of them. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash TNO. Wow, that's a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slap pack? That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash TNO for 10% off your first purchase. So if you want to collect some cards or rip open some packs in a more transparent way, whether you're a sports nerd or a Pokemon nerd or all sorts of nerds like me, you can use Arena Club today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. And we're back, <laughs> and we are here to discuss the scary basement scene and beyond. So they're in the scary basement, and 
you see a lot of the statues. What's different, I felt like the statues down here in the basement were more humans and seemed more like travelers, like people wearing backpacks and yeah. stuff like that. Whereas the statues that were outside Antiems were more monster looking. There were some scarier looking figures. And I guess that's like she stops the creepy people before they can get in and then mm -hmm. tricks the humans to getting in. And it's only until they go downstairs that she turns them into statues. Yeah, that's kind of the vibe I took, you know, because like the monster's coming in, that's a direct threat and they might be a little heavy to move. <laughs> Whereas, you know, the tourists is if you can lure down mm -hmm. and uh, just sort of dispatch them at your leisure. Yeah, the other thing I'm realizing is... Strategically for Medusa, it does make more sense to have a bunch of creepy, scary things turned into statues, because if outside your gas station, because it does have a let it unlet it sign, your gas mm -hmm. station rest stop in the middle of the forest. <laughs> if you had a bunch of statues of people screaming with backpacks on and being scared, I don't know that people with backpacks on would come through for a bite to eat. I'm just a tortured artist. <laughs> so I guess from the retail perspective, it does make more sense to not have the human ones displayed outside. Yeah. And as we saw in her ledger, she's doing some numbers. So. She's doing great. Yeah. I don't know how the sales are going, but she's at least moving a lot of inventory. Yes. <laughs> so she's got all that. And downstairs, we see more of the humans and stuff. And our trio is trying to figure out what to do. And they are trying to split up because it's this point they're, they're just assuming she's gonna attack them right like yeah. did she say anything explicit where she like it's not like she went out like i'm gonna get you but, <laughs> but they go down to the basement and then the cool flame effect happens and they just know like oh jeepers creepers guys yeah mm -hmm. yeah and it, it, percy doesn't be like hey she threatened to kill you guys they're just sort of run downstairs mm -hmm. and, yeah i don't know mm -hmm. they, a, they just know that something is afoot the music change you know yeah. it's letting them know <laughs> So things are getting real. <laughs> so they are trying to come up with a plan. Grover is already wearing the shoes. Was there any sort of discussion? There was no discussion of like why Grover has the shoes, right? He just happens to be wearing them. Yeah, I think they, I can't remember if they just like did a shot for him to actually put them on or not. I think not, they did, but, but there was no discussion, right? No, there was no discussion. Yeah. I mean, you know, we know Grover needs to get the shoes. Percy was just awkwardly carrying them for like half the episode anyway. So I was glad somebody put them on. <laughs> right. But yeah, I guess they didn't like make a firmly established reason why Grover was wearing them now. Yeah, they didn't say anything, but I think it does make sense to just think of, okay, everyone gets a magical item. And because mm -hmm. Grover doesn't have his reed pipes and there's been no magic established there, Percy has the sword, Annabeth has the hat, Grover has the shoes. Yeah. It's okay. So he's got the shoes on already and in a perfect line. He says, okay, we'll split up. There's three of us. There's only one of her. You know, I'll go above. And once I say Maya, you go. And then he just starts sure. flying away. And I thought this was so funny because I expected him to have just the thing where he would float up and be confused and maybe mm -hmm. some hijinks. Maybe he knocks into something and then Medusa hears them or something like that. Or he's upside down or whatever. But he just keeps going. <laughs> yeah. He just keeps flying up and up and up and up and up. And made me wonder how tall the ceilings are. Yeah. <laughs> like how many stairs are they going down? I guess the answer could just be magic. But yeah. he flies away in just the slow vocal fade as he is saying different things instead of my. Yeah. He's like, down, stop, pause. <laughs> I know. I think it is hands down the funniest part of the episode. Like I had a full belly laugh the entire time. Grover's just slowly fading out. And mm -hmm. uh, it's such a perfect, like, little character point for Grover, too. And like I said, the writing I'm just so impressed with and, like, even all the changes and things they make, it's just so true to the characters. Mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah, it's really funny. And this episode is, its we said it earlier, but this episode's so funny. So I think this fun. one really kind of lays the groundwork where the first one is like, let's get it all up. Let's set the stakes. Here we go. And then the second one is like, the world building. Here's the camp. Here's Annabeth's mm -hmm. hat. Here's Percy's sword. Here's all these people's powers and stuff. And then the third one is like, also, these books are funny. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. There's monsters we have to deal with, but also jokes are everywhere. And I think mm -hmm. that they, after just three episodes, have kind of checked all the boxes. We've got drama. We've got suspense. We've got monsters. We've got a cool world. We've got magic. We've got mortal stuff versus ancient Greek magical mythical stuff. And we also have jokes. <laughs> just so good. So yeah, he flies away. And then Annabeth says, so we need a new plan. <laughs> it's, it's very, very funny. 
And then we get into something that I think is very interesting because Medusa comes down and in a more excusable version of a villain monologue, <laughs> explains sort of her backstory. And this is where we're really getting more of the sympathetic nature of Medusa. Mm-hmm. But what I think is really interesting about it is she goes very much into detail about the Athena nature of it all. And upstairs, we had more things where Medusa talks to Annabeth about her being someone who worshipped Athena and mm-hmm. then talks to Percy about Poseidon showing that he loved her and kind of tricking her and all that kind of stuff. And then downstairs, it continues. And this is where it becomes a little more explicit, like the gods aren't great. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is another example of taking something from camp and putting it onto the quests. I feel like when I read these, I had the vibe that Chiron sort of explained this because Chiron gives a more lengthy explanation about the gods and how they don't like each other in certain ways Mm -hmm. and the beef between the brothers of the big three and the whole thing about getting their children to try to do stuff for them and all this kind of stuff. I feel like by the time we leave camp, we kind of have this impression of, oh, maybe the gods aren't the best. But in the show, we haven't necessarily gotten that except for Percy being like, grumble, grumble, why is my dad ever around? (laughs) But now it's like, oh, you know, it's one of those like, okay, I don't know if turning people to stone is the right answer, Medusa. However, I do see how you were wronged. And I think it's just a really nice dynamic way to establish the character of Medusa. She's doing more than just being scary. Like in the book, she's kind of just scary. But in the show, she's teaching us a little bit more and making us question the gods, which I think is great. Yeah, and I think it's a great starting off point because this is just an overarching concept that the whole series explores, you know, and Mm -hmm. like really what is the society the gods have established and what are our characters doing within it and how do they want to change it? Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think introducing it in this way and giving it such a a manifestation of Medusa, like you've pointed out so beautifully, is a great way for like new people exploring the series too to really start to understand it in a more like relatable way. Yeah, I think is awesome. Yeah, I think it's really good, and I like the two part way that they did it, where you have the upstairs conversation, you got the downstairs conversation, and then it's like more menacing when you're oh. down there. One thing I did forget to mention that I thought was fantastic is before they go downstairs, I, I guess this is when Percy gets taken into a separate room mm-hmm. as Percy is leaving. Grover is slurping something out of a straw, <laughs> and you get the classic like yeah. you know noise, and then Annabeth goes Grover, and he goes hmm? and he's got something in yeah. his mouth, and his eyes are just like perfectly bugged out of like huh what uh, like caught in an embarrassing situation Aryan's a really good actor he's, so he's good. really talented he's so talented and Gosh. then he my favorite part of all of that is that he slurps the little bit into his mouth <laughs> <laughs> he uh just these kids have really solid comedic chops yeah. really 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 solid comedic chops so yes then we've we've got the basement thing continues and now we get to really see the snake hair and mm-hmm. i really like it i oh, really yeah. like it because it does just look like snake hair as opposed to mm-hmm. snake head like yeah. <laughs> it's not just snakes poking out of her head in a bunch of different directions the snakes are smaller and it looks more like if your hair was cursed to be snakes. And it looks more convincingly like a hairstyle and the way that it tucks under her hat is nice. The hat, fantastic. Oh, Oh, man. Beautiful hat. Gorgeous hat. But then she takes it off and then the snakes are out and it looks cool. And then her eyes have a really cool effect on them too where it's like not even like a solid color, but it's like white and blue and gray. And oh, it just looks perfectly menacing. Yeah, and breathtaking. And that's that's what's perfect about it is that you like watching the show I'm like, wait, 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 show her eyes. And then you're like, oh, wait, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you see how it works for someone to be like, whoa, because they look yeah. so cool. I know. Oh, man. Incredible stuff by everyone involved. Mm-hmm. So then what they end up doing, it kind of comes together not perfectly planned, which does feel true to form with the book where Grover's kind of out of control with the shoes, but he just kind of crashes into a box while saying, I didn't think this through, and (laughs) crashes into something. Medusa is confused. Annabeth then puts the hat on Medusa and says, now, so we have to believe that she had this plan and talked about it with Percy, which is cool, and then Percy slashes her head off. And I think it accomplishes a lot here. As you had pointed out before we recorded, it's a good way for them to not show gore on Disney+. Plus. But it's also just a good way to not have to make some CGI that looks bad. And they've done that pretty well in the show. A lot of waste up shots for Grover and Chiron. Yes. Like, yeah, dude, why not? Like, I totally get yeah. it. 
So to do that is cool. And then, yeah, I think it's more believable, especially since the basement is so dark. It's more believable than Percy having something reflective like, I don't know, an iPod touch or something. One of the few great so, aspects. Gosh, that's yeah. that whole scene. Yeah. I used to date your, your daddy. daddy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what I really love about the Medusa takedown is like, yes, it is different from the book, but I liked that every person in the trio contributed very meaningfully to yes. their success. And I think it's like a really great bonding moment for all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, symbolically, you know, they've had their strife and everything, and it's sort of a more coming together moment. And it's just really nice. Right. And it was a good teamwork makes the dream work moment because they each kind of contributed equally. You've got the distraction from Grover. You have the invisible head confusion from Annabeth and then the finishing blow from Percy. So they're all working there and then they're each using their magical items. Shoes for distraction, hat for invisibility, riptide for slashing. It's great. Super solid. So then the head topples down. Percy grabs it. Great physical acting from Walker because he's holding nothing. (laughs) So he's got the head and then they decide to use the head to defeat Electo outside. And it's done in an interesting way. I think this is another version of we're getting to see things not just from Percy's perspective mm-hmm. by it being a TV show. Percy kind of walks out alone with the head, Annabeth reminding him, make sure it's faced the right direction. <laughs> Which I guess he could like feel for yep. the nose. Yeah. yeah. And then he goes outside and then Electo tries to attack him. He takes off the hat. She crashes in a really cool like nah pose, yes. which is good. And then he comes back in. But this is all done as if you the viewer are looking out the window from Annabeth's mm-hmm. perspective and I think it's cool to watch other folks do it yeah and I love like right before that too it's kind of zooming in on Annabeth's face so we can and you know Leah I think is doing a lot of great just like facial acting here because mm-hmm. I think she's starting to see Percy in a new light in yeah. this way that like it's like maybe he can handle this you know maybe he is a hero or mm-hmm. maybe maybe it's too early for that but you know it's she's seeing the seeds of that right um and I really appreciated that yeah So then the team gets back together. They're in the basement. They're trying to figure out what to do with the head. Percy wants to hide it away, keep the hat on it so that it can't hurt anybody else. Annabeth very quickly agrees, which is big of her to do because that means sacrificing the hat. And then there's a little bit of back and forth. And then this is where Grover kind of loses his cool, so to speak. But really, he just can't go with trying to make both of them not upset at each other without making things a little uncomfortable first. And then Mm -hmm. they have some discussions. They talk about because Annabeth and Percy were going back and forth about the whole like, oh, like, what did Medusa mean? Percy when she was saying you know like you turned down her offer and their Electo turned out whatever it was but yeah. basically it's like what do you mean Percy that Medusa gave you an offer and he's like what do you mean that Electo gave you yeah. an offer <laughs> and then they both kind of realize like well I turned down the offer I killed Electo's sister it's like oh yeah I turned down Medusa's offer I cut off her head yeah. and Grover was like you know we gotta let this all out let's clear the unanswered questions like Percy what are you afraid of mm-hmm. and can't you recognize that this hat is so meaningful for Annabeth it's her only time to her mother and all these sorts of things. So this was a good moment. And this whole scene is when I realized like, okay, this is what they're doing with this episode. They are changing the whole Medusa fight and confusion and intrigue to move the bonding of the group along and make that Mm -hmm. more believable before they go into other parts of the quest, like St. Louis and Los Angeles. And I like it. I really like it. And I think it works. And it was one of those things that by the end of it, I was like, okay, I see why they made these changes and I agree with them for making them. It's super effective. And I think it's just really well done and tough. Like that's not an easy task to change a lot. And they did. Yeah. I mean, it probably helps that Rick was involved every step of the way. Totally. (laughs) But God, really came together so well. It really did. It's really, really solid. So there's a little bit of a back and forth about what they're going to do. Before that, though, you do have Grover seeing Uncle Ferdinand. That is the first thing we see coming back when we see them going back to the basement. And Grover... Again, Arian, a really good actor. He's like legitimately choked up, tears in his eyes, like sad. And this is another change where I think in the book he knew what happened to Uncle Ferdinand and that was the realization of like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's how my Uncle Ferdinand got killed. But I think this makes it have more emotional impact because Grover knows that Uncle Ferdinand went on some sort of quest and he knows that they're on his satyr path, but he didn't know how far he got. So it, you know, has some more gravitas. Yeah, especially, like, as he says, like, they only got to Trenton, mm-hmm. you know? And he said it right. He did say Arian it right. Arian said yeah. it right, so shout out to Arian. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's just, like, knowing how, like, not far from Camp Half-Blood that really is. Like, yeah. that's, 
Yeah, he acted that crap out of that scene. He did. And I think think this is another example of letting us understand the Pan Grover Seder element without having explicit like, well, this is a scene where Grover (laughs) talks about the whole thing. Like we don't get exposition dump. We're getting Mm -hmm. a good sprinkling of Grover's motivations and his story that by the end of it, we're just gonna be like, I fully understand all the Seder stuff, even though there was no conversation of like, here (laughs) is why I have horns. So then they decide from mainly Percy just making it so that they are going to ship the head. Grover and Annabeth are like, the gods are not going to like this. He's like, I'm doing it. And Annabeth's like, they will see this as impertinent. And he goes, I am impertinent. (laughs) It's so good. This made me want to reread this particular scene because I remember loving this so much, so, so much. They they like put it in like a plastic bag, right? I always imagined it was one of those like bodega bags. (laughs) I think they put a plastic bag and then the box to ship it or whatever. Yeah, but like that. I absolutely loved it. And that same humor and, you know, FU energy yeah. from Percy <laughs> is still there, which is really good. And then you get the extra emotional thing because this is a way for Percy to get rid of the Medusa head and keep people safe, but also let Annabeth keep her hat. And this is something where, again, it's not something that was necessarily in the book. But we're putting more of that emotional impact of the hat just like in a really short amount of time. And you can see it on Leah's face and all of that of just like how much this hat means. And it's been brought up. And I think it's a really creative way to do it. Absolutely. And it's just dawning on me. We didn't touch on this earlier, but like much earlier in the episode, Percy like asks if they can talk to Athena. Mm -hmm. You remember? And, you know, you can tell Annabeth gets kind of upset at him over that question. And it's like, you know, bringing it back to the hat, like really this is her only tether to her mother because she doesn't have that kind of relationship with Athena. Pretty much none of the demigods do, I know. Mm-hmm. Percy doesn't know that, but I think it just, it adds to the weight of that so much more, exactly as you're saying. And it's just like knowing that it's like, okay, I, this literally is it. This is mm-hmm. all I get of her. Yes, it's good. It's good. And it's nice. The hat is Percy showing that he does care because before when he brought that up, he says it in a way that makes it sound like he's like trying to take a dig at her because mm. he says like, why don't we just talk to your mom? When's the last time you talked to her? Yeah. And it's a little like, ooh, Percy. Like that's when they were really getting testy and Grover was like, guys, mm-hmm. come on. But- Now we're seeing Percy show some compassion towards Annabeth. And I think this is kind of the first instance of, okay, we're finally now melting away the uncomfortable nature of the Percy and Annabeth relationship. Mm -hmm. We can move on to friendship. Then we can move on to Percibeth. Let's go, baby. (laughs) But then before they finally decide to ship the head off the way that Percy gets them to do it, is that he starts to sing consensus. And he starts clapping, and Grover is like, oh, God, you're going to do it, whatever, okay? And my favorite thing about it is that Percy messes up the lyrics. He just goes, oh, golly, the world's getting bumpy. Consensus! He just skips right to the chorus. Oh, my gosh. So funny. Or the road's getting bumpy or whatever it is. But him canonically messing up the lyrics is just such a perfect way to do it. Yes. So they package it all up. And this is just like, I don't want the bad movies to break my brain, but (laughs) the packing tape roller thing he uses Mm -hmm. in the Sea of Monsters movie, I'm so sorry to spoil it for anyone Uh. else. There is a magical uh, tape dispenser. Okay. You know how there is in the books. Of course. And when Percy started using it, my brain was like, the magical? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my broken, broken brain. Thank you, Chris Columbus. But packages it up and then we cut to someone and right off the bat I'm like oh it's gonna be Lumen one Miranda baby <laughs> but it's someone in like a UPS style jumpsuit mm-hmm. carrying the box and then going into the Empire State Building and then in what's a really cool move taking one of those little elevator keys and turning the off on thing and then the 600th floor shows up yeah I like that especially as someone that takes a lot of elevators and you see some of those extra buttons and key turns and you're like I wonder what those do yeah <laughs> it's it's perfectly believable that any human with the mist would just be like, ah, just another one of those things, I guess. Yep. <laughs> like would never think to do it. And it's just hiding in plain sight. Absolutely perfect. But twists it. The 600 number shows up, pushes it, goes up, and then slow pan up. The first thing you see is that nine o'clock shadow <laughs> goatee of Lin-Manuel Miranda. And then he is humming the canonical now elevator music from the books. And the elevator music is Arthur's theme, but not that Arthur. Arthur's theme, best that you can do. And the perfect thing about it is that Lin sings it as New York City. And that's the only way you can sing that song because the only way I've ever sung it is. Yeah. 
the moon in New York City. Like, I don't know any words except for the moon in New York City. So when he did it that way, I felt very, very vindicated. And then that song plays through the end credits, which is so good. And it's now opened the door of like, okay, before we had the very cool, vaguely Spider-Man-y sounding Mm -hmm. music during the ending credits, which are gorgeous and phenomenal. And the music goes perfectly with the visuals. But now to know we can get either comedic or whatever other emotion they might go for in the future, needle drops to go through the credits makes me really, really, really happy. Me too, man. This show is so good. It's so good. It's so good. Three episodes in, it's like, great. All five seasons are going to be amazing. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. It's so good. Renew it now. Come on. (laughs) But it's just, uh, it's just so funny. And I am intrigued to see. I'm glad like the door for needle drops has been opened because at this Mm -hmm. point, like, I guess the only non scoring music was whatever was playing when Sally Jackson was enjoying being in the rain a little too much because I think there was some sort of song with the lyrics going on. I think that's the only instance thus far. But now we've got that and I'm intrigued to see other needle drops. I don't know if we will get ones not just in end credits or if we'll get stuff in the beginning of episodes or whatever, but at least the door has been open now with episode three. So we have other opportunities and I think that's fantastic. And uh, that's the end of episode three. Any overarching thoughts before we get into our patron five specific exclusive questions that we'll discuss later and people can hear on the Patreon. Uh But any other overarching thoughts before we conclude the episode here? Just that this, this show is so, so good. I mean, I said it before, you know, as someone who read these way back in high school, like I'm just so excited that we're finally getting an adaptation that like really respects the source material. And I'm so excited to see where it's gone. And I'm so excited to see where it continues to go. Yeah, I really am as well. And it's been an intentional choice for the guests that we have here because we had Sequoia, who was like me and didn't read it till later in life. Then we had Erica from Seaweed Brain, lifelong fan. You, longtime fan, but high school, not childhood. Our next episode is going to be with Liam Crowley, who's another lifelong fan. So I'm trying to do my best to get like lots of different fan perspectives. And I think it's going to be pretty clear to see that overall, Everybody loves the show because the show slaps. It's really good. Steven, thank you for joining. Is there anything you would like to plug out to the people? I mean, now that you're a doctor, do you even have to do warnings anymore? Like the trademark uh, thoughts are your own? I don't don't think I officially have to do it anymore. But, you know, I know that people love it. So (laughs) I guess you keep it up. Hello, my name is uh, Dr. Steven Para. Uh, (laughs) My thoughts, feelings, jokes, Prayers, uh, intentions, and desires are mine and mine alone and do not reflect the aforementioned things of any medical <laughs> of any medical school or medical institution that exists. Mm-hmm. Great. Anything else you want to shout out to the people before we bounce? Check out Horse. It's a pretty cool podcast. Look, it's a good one. NBA and WNBA always have some fun drama. You can learn cool history and you can be better at trivia. Huh? Yeah, look, mm. you always need that sports person on your team and maybe I can't be on your trivia team, but... If you listen to some episodes of Horrors, you can get some uh, fun comedic facts about basketball. But, Stephen, thank you for joining. Listeners, thank you for listening. And until next time, when we see how things go as they take the Amtrak to St. Louis, until then, I'll see you later. Hey there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The New Stellampian. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schubert. I also run the social media and the website. Our editor is Sherry Guo. The music is by Bettina Campamanes and Brandon Google, and the art is by Jessica E. Boyd. If you want to be a part of the show's community, you can find us on social media. We're at New Stellampian on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. There's also a subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash The New Stellampian. And then there's also the Discord that you get access to by joining any tier of the Patreon over at thenewstellampian.com slash Patreon. If you want to get some TNO merch, you can go to thenewstellampian.com slash merch. And if you want to support the show, and as a thank you get access to a whole bunch of bonus content you can do that at thenewsolympia.com slash Patreon speaking of that Patreon let's give a shout out to our producer level patrons Kelsey Gillespie The Damn Steam Nuggets Vicky Garcia Ellie Hoskovchova Veronica Bartova Haley Hastings Robin Garcia Frida Vickstrom Megan Moon Craig McRoberts Taylor Payne Giselle Salvador Peter Johnson The Twins Sabrina Balsiger Bony Pony Casey Williams Polly Burge Nikki Harris Tatiana Schmidt Sandra Rose Josh Sayre Josh Wilkie Abby Ryan Wise Girl Ashton Gabrielson Marco Redhouse Caden Max Sam Sam Reby Riley K 
Kiddas, Mary Kelly, Audra, Mrs. O'Leary, Rodith Kalna, Milo Kim, Harlan Christ, Cece Reads 23, Sandkoff, Julia Kendall, Emil Oscar Thomason, Liz Cardigan, Sarah Neal, Ricky, John Drillsmo, Rayla Matthews, Riley Draken, Lunica Dune, Sky Mallory, Elizabeth Obermiller, Aiden Parziani, Biggest Tyson Fan, Hunter Landstrom, Captain Jack Rackham, Sky Captain and the Princess, King Bastion, One Damn Distraction coming up, Ethan Robinson, Ginger Spurs Boy, Joshua Aid, A Cup of Solace, Meg Roy, Lux, Neil, Will Buchanan, Olivia Krenicki, Mrs. O'Leary as Best Doggo, and Bradimus Prime. If you want to support the show in a non-monetary way, simply talking about the show is so helpful. Word of mouth is huge. So you can tell someone that you know who loves Percy Jackson about the podcast, or you can talk to someone who's looking for an excuse to finally get into the Percy Jackson books about it, or someone who's maybe getting hyped for the TV show that's coming up and they want to understand what's going on. Or you could post about the show on social media, or you could leave us a rating and review on whatever podcasting app you're using. All these things really do help. I'm very appreciative to everyone who has already done so and to anyone who will do so in the future. But I'm just so thankful that you tuned into this episode, and I hope you tune into our next episode, where we will be joined by Liam T. Crowley to discuss episode four of the Percy Jackson TV show. But until then, I'll pursue you later. Hey everyone, how's it going? It's me, ASMR Mike. So I'm recording this in Kelly's childhood bedroom. And for this segment, I'm just going to rustle along. She has like a gift that we were given for the holidays that has kind of like that crinkly confetti paper to keep glass things safe. So I'm just going to rustle my fingers through those. And then here's me clinking the glasses together. Thank you for listening.